statement off of him. So, yes. again, he, Ellis understands that uh, that the extremely wealthy have something wrong with them, which is very interesting. Yeah, like and, uh, uh, that's he's a bit of a class traitor in his writing. He he is a he's a total class traitor in his writing. He's if uh, I would recommend everybody listen to the Brett Easton Ellis podcast. He's not a leftist by any means. He's a fairly uh, mainstream liberal, but he's such a contrarian. He calls liberals out on their shit a lot. Um, so I think leftists will get something out of that. Um, but yeah, he's a class traitor. And that's, that's what I like about um, Less Than Zero, because this is about a world that I have no concept of. I've never experienced. I've never known people this rich and this wealthy who've never had to worry about money. But I do know from reading this book that they're all still fucking miserable, too. And that brings me a little bit of joy. They are. <laughs> yeah. Just to see all the shit they go through. These are because uh, Lesson Zero is about all these high school kids, high school and college uh, kids. And they're the sons and daughters of m- movie producers, agents, power attorneys, et cetera, et cetera, in Hollywood. And they're just all miserable little shits. All their parents marriages are you know fake or failing um nobody really cares or loves anybody nobody like they have all this money and they do nothing with it except you know do mostly not very good drugs hang out go to diners etc etc it's like there's nothing their lives have no real direction or meaning or purpose as cheesy as that is to say but it's true, and it's um, it's a joy to um, watch um, it in it unfold in Brett Easton Ellis's books. Yeah, I mean, and what he does is he takes that sort of that sociopathy and just like ramps it up to a. I mean, I mean, uh, you know, at the end of Less Than Zero with the twelve-year-old sex slave, that was like, oh boy, like that I have not seen. I've seen fucked up shit, but not not quite that. Although, you know, it. it, it it, it it's not a surprise, right? Like this is the city that remember, you know, not too long ago gave a standing ovation to Roman Polanski. This is a city that if someone is a you know a brilliant artist or creator, and usually getting discovered as brilliant means having the financial connections to to get found, then uh, you can kind of get away with anything you fucking want. And Ellis, I think, growing up around that, probably like. You know, most Gen Xers at the time became super, super disenchanted. And uh, that disenchantment is a very common thing for young people in L.A. So uh, it's, it's uh, you know, it, it's interesting that, that, that he has devoted his life to basically saying that all of the rich people around him that raised him are trash. There's, there's something very cool and rebellious about that. I will say, though, that, like, uh, when you were playing the first half of Imperial Bedrooms in the drive to to, to uh, San Luis Obispo, uh, my girlfriend was going fucking crazy. Like, she can't stand him. And I have a few friends that say that Brett Easton Ellis is a hack. And uh, I don't quite agree. Would you like to rebut that? Oh, no, he's not a hack. I think his prose is beautiful. Like, I think there's so- definitely something to it. Like, he does have a style. Like, he's... He's not he's not trying to be like a literary novelist, even though like he's kind of pushing that category. Like when he talks, he talks about when you talk about his influences, it's usually like, you know, like detective novels and, you know, slasher films and shit like that. Like he's not someone who's very big on being 
quote unquote literary, even though he has that education, like he will probably consider himself a genre writer, except the only uh, thing is he does, most of his books don't have like a, they're not sci-fi or supernatural, except for only one actually has any kind of supernatural elements in it. Like, um, but he, I, I think, well, uh, he's get put compared he, like he had a feud with, um, the few, uh, brief feud with David Foster, um, Wallace and that kind of turned the literary literary people against him like oh if you insult David Foster Wallace that must mean that your books are shitty or whatever but like Brady Snellis he's done a lot like 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 as we said he's a class trader he's talking he talks about the uh, shallowness of the 80s the dark side of the Reagan 80s which um, not a lot of people really were talking about certainly not at the time um, mm-hmm. He talked about the fucked up uh, future that we were going to experience in the OOs and his in Glitterati. Um, he saw a lot of things coming that we didn't like the rise of reality TV and social media. Like he's consistent. He is consistent from, uh, y- you know, uh, if you look at a lot of the Gen X writers and the uh, sort of the literary rat pack of the 90s, a lot of them grew up had kids, and just kind of became more run-of-the-mill. And uh, Ellis has never changed. He has always uh, he has always written about the sleazy things in the world of uh, glamour and entertainment and media. And he won't stop, and he'll, he'll just keep calling those people scumbags forever. And yeah, sign me up. Yeah, uh, yeah. So all his books, except for Lunar Park, take place... Oh, Lunar Park is not connected? Yeah, take place in the same universe. Lunar Park is a... Uh, it, it the main character is Brett Easton Ellis, right? right. So, he's playing himself. So he it, so it's, it's technically about him. Um, but everything else from less than uh, so in less than zero, there's the star is Clay, um, and his friends Blair and Julian. Well, Clay goes to college with um, Sean Bateman, uh, who is the star of Rules of Attraction, and Patrick's cousin, and no Patrick's brother. Patrick's brother. Oh. And Patrick Bateman is actually in the Rules of Attraction in the uh, mm-hmm. brief scene. And Casper Van Dien actually played Patrick Bateman in a cut scene from the film Rules of Attraction. Um, and so, of course, American Psycho, you have Patrick Bateman. And then uh, uh, then Formers is a short story collection, which has a lot of the characters. And Glamorama, I believe, star, oh, it has a number of characters who were in Rules of Attraction, including um, Victor Ward. And, you know, like, I gotta say, you know, Brace Nellis, he's, this is like the first MCU, basically. Yeah. Well, <laughs> him and him and Kevin Smith with his Askewniverse, they were the sort of the two shared, uh, shared universe movie guys at the time. And that was like, uh, it was definitely cool to see. Uh, I will say, actually, The Informers is a really interesting uh, one because that was Brad Renfro's. Uh, that was Brad Renfro's last movie yeah. before he died. Yeah, he and, looked uh, bad in that movie. He really looked- he looked really fucked up, and I think they were friends. Yeah, so a lot of uh, Brett's work has been adapted um, to film. Some very successful, like American Psycho. Uh, some pretty good, like Rules of Attraction. But then you have uh, Less Than Zero, the adaptation, and. Um, if you haven't seen the movie, I, I'll tell you this story that might give you some idea about what it's like. So, um, before the premiere, 
Brett, Brett hasn't really seen the movie. He's been he's been in college. Um, this ha- this happened very quickly after the book was published. He goes out to L- he returns to L.A. He's about to go to the premiere. He's walking around L.A. and then he sees the director drunk on the street, and he just and the director just comes up to him, grabs him, and says, "I'm so fucking sorry. I'm so sorry." So uh, <laughs> that basically, there's nothing in the film that's in the book. And there's a, a, a reason for an interesting reason for that is because the book was about the kids of the people who had to pay to make the movie. And so, of course, it's not going to be as nihilistic as, and hedonistic. It's going to be a Hollywood film where Clay, instead of being this, you know, almost he's like a, he's a prep yeah. instead of a instead of a instead of this uh slacker you know, stoner disc and he's not disconnected he's not disconnected he's more of a active he's like he's more active he's uh prepper he has his shit together he's upset he's more he's actually upset that his best friend and his girlfriend are sleeping together which in the book he's kind of he doesn't give a shit he's kind of indifferent about he just knows it's happening it's like whatever um, he tries to say he try he makes much more of an effort to help Julian out and save Julian. Um, and um, Blair and Clay, you know, really do love each other instead of just you know being around each other and sleeping with each other every so often. He's no longer bisexual in the movie. He doesn't do drugs in the movie, I believe. A lot less drug use and. The big thing is that Julian, who's played by Robert Downey Jr., who's actually really g- good in it. And well, he's good in it because at the time he was filming it, he was fucking addicted to drugs. Yeah. So he was actually living the character. That's what we call method acting. Yes. <laughs> and and to be fair, like the movie, like if you don't go in expecting it to be an adaptation of a Bret Easton Ellis novel, you can kind of enjoy it as this noirish teen, 80s teen movie. And like, yeah, like, I mean, it feels like a mediocre, like if you saw Brick, which is uh, Ryan Johnson, I think his best movie, uh, it feels sort of like Brick. It's it's a high school noir and it's it's OK. Yeah, it's fine. You know? it's, it's, fi- it's fine for what it is, but it has nothing um, to do with the book. And one of the big changes from the book is that at the end, Julian dies. The best friend uh, dies in the uh, in the uh, film. Because he's the drug addict, he's the um, gay prostitute, so he has to be punished for his sins, for the sins of all youth. And that's why he dies, and uh, Clay and Blair uh, ride off literally into the sunset together with uh, Julian's dead body in the car. I mean, I think that's like the classic Hollywood thing where if there's a character doing bad things that's a they need to either redeem themselves or die like that's how it works in 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 sort of the mainstream uh studio system if there's a character who's immoral they've got to either die redeeming themselves redeem themselves and live a better person or just you know die there you can't just have them continue to be shitty and have the movie end because then that would that would uh, take away the closure that would take away that that uh that 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 perfect bow that studio movies really need, and uh, Ellis has never liked that. I mean, American Psycho, and maybe you, you can credit that to Mary Heron, the director, uh, didn't go that way. It it did not give the nice cleaned up ending where you know the bad character dies and everyone gets their shit together, and <laughs> you know it ended with Christian Bale as Patrick Bateman having another fucking freakout. Who knows? Maybe he'll kill more people. Maybe not. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
and so uh, Imperial Bedrooms actually opens up with uh, with the main character with with uh, with Clay, Clay sh- shitting on Less Than Zero, which is a real movie. Where he shit uh, on the book and the movie. Like, so this is a brilliant thing that Ellis does. I've never read anything like this. I've actually read this first chapter maybe ten times because. It's meta in like a super brilliant way. All right. So less than zero. All right. In the world, the real Ellis world. So less than zero was a book published and written by maybe Bruce Easton Ellis, maybe not. We don't get the name of the author of less than zero. But the book we read is the same book that exists in their world. And it was published. And Clay reacts to it in the beginning, in the first chapter of Imperial Bedrooms. And also the movie Less Than Zero came out and he, and they got to see them portrayed on screen and Julian got to see Robert Downey Jr. die on screen and react to himself being killed off in that movie which actually exists in their universe. Like it's and it's just this fascinating commentary on what it would be like to uh, is Brett Easton Ellis talking about how it felt to publish the book and have a movie made from it, and then have his character be angry at him for doing so too. Like he, the character takes a lot of shots at Brett Easton Ellis for being, you know, this kind of hanger on who used the lives of their lives uh, to make himself um, rich and famous. And I'm sure he probably got a lot of letters from friends or had a lot of awkward conversations after he published a book, which probably reflect that as well. Yeah. And the thing is, is that you've got to wonder, uh, you've got to wonder when you, when you, <laughs> when you actually read these books, who Brett Easton Ellis hangs out with, right? Yeah. Like, like, you know, there is a thin line with sort of condemning and fetishizing, and he he walks it very tightly. He he's um, never he's always pri- prides himself on not judging his characters. He presents his characters. He does not judge them, and he says that's often like what when he brings stuff to Hollywood producers or whatever, especially less than zero. He specifically said that the problem was that when he wrote this book. It didn't judge the characters in it. And I think that's part of what makes it such a, you know, such a fascinating book, whether it's, you know, Less Than Zero or is Patrick Clay or Patrick Bateman or Blair, et cetera, et cetera. Like none of these characters are judged. They're just presented as they are by the writer. And then we as the viewer have to, you know, do the extra footwork and judge them ourselves. He doesn't make it easy on us. We don't get to... We don't get to let the writer make the decision for us who's good, who's bad, what's justified, what's not, what should they have done, what shouldn't they have done. We have to come to grips with it ourselves, and we have to live in that ambivalence as long as we're reading that book. And that can, I can understand that's very uncomfortable for people, especially people who have been raised on, you know— Hollywood, uh, mainstream Hollywood movies where every, you know, where people are judged, uh, guilty or punished, uh, the bad guy gets locked up, uh, the good guy is always good, the good guy doesn't uh, sit back while his friend falls into um, drugs and crime and shit like that and, and does nothing, where the good guy who gets cheated on takes action instead of just not caring, you know, we, where, where the uh, good, uh, where the um, female product protagonist is you know virtuous and not 
um, just as bad as all the men around her. They, they're not, people aren't used to that sort of presentation. So he can rub people the wrong way um, a lot. Right. But that, that I think dives deeper into sort of this uh, very American aesthetic in storytelling and mainstream storytelling where if, uh, if everything isn't, you know, wrapped up neatly, if justice isn't done, if closure is taken, uh, people lose their fucking minds. And that's sort of, uh, you know, kind of how I feel with, I'm articulating this poorly, but there is, when you work in the entertainment industry, your brain begins to think more like, you're in the plot of a movie <laughs> or you're in the plot of a show. You begin to think in story arcs. You begin to expect people to act like the tropes that are portrayed on screen. It is the 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 fantasy and the reality blur very, very, very quickly, especially when you're dealing with extremely wealthy people who act like cartoon characters all the time. Yeah. Like in, the in, ecosystem of what's normal begins to fade. I saw that happen with myself. Uh, and you know, Brayson Ellis actually, you know, you he experienced the same thing you did. And he talked to, and he that's what Glitterati is about, largely. Mm-hmm. I haven't read that yet. I've got to get on it because it really is like you begin to almost see the world as if you're watching life through a, a camera lens or something. It's it's hard to explain without sounding like a fucking lunatic, but there is just something in the. Not just the glitz and the glamour, but just the 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 in the industry and the the cinematic you know beauty of the city. But also, it is embedded in our culture to expect happy endings, to expect uh, bad guys to get their due, to uh, to have the you know the nice meek guy uh, fuck the supermodel. Like it's just all and, and live happily ever after. Like it's all just. These norms, these cultural norms that are embedded in our heads through years and years of conditioning and storytelling, just they're just not quite there. And so you have so many people who are trying to live in this fantasy land, and then when the real world hits them, and the way it hit me, it, it can break brains. It can really fundamentally alter the way that you see yourself, the way that you see other people, how uh, human beings are valued how you saw other human beings before and the guilt that comes with, I mean, I feel really guilty. I mean, in my early twenties, I was partying all the time. I was trying to hang out with the the hottest, the richest, the, the, you know, the most powerful, the most connected. I used to use the word networking. Like it's embarrassing, <laughs> but that's also what we're conditioned to do. It's, it's of a, and, and especially in entertainment where so much of, being hireable and and Alice also understands this is based on like fuckability and based on not just sex appeal but uh, your ability to fit into these roles. Like I began to realize that I was like sort of like the cartoony wacky sidekick best friend for a couple of people. Like once you realize that you're at, you're living a trope uh, and you become self aware of that, it becomes very very difficult to not reexamine your relationships. Like who am I in like this when you when you realize oh I'm li- I'm living in a movie in my head and I'm seeing myself as the main character like how do other people perceive you in their movie in their brain and I think that uh I think that less than zero did a really cool job of playing with that and I think that all of Ellis's work does a good yeah job Imper- I mean it's Imperial Bell- Bedrooms is about what happens you know when the dream is over. Ooh.
happened when the lights what happened when the movie ends. To hear the full episode, subscribe at patreon.com slash struggle session. Like what you hear, want to hear more? Check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or struggle session.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.